right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Adam Drovetta on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Derek Johnson along with Adam Drovetta here on your home for the Jayhawks, which you can hear on Friday. Uh, KU taking on Providence at 629. Pre-game starts at 430. We're also going to have the guy who's calling the game for the CBS side, or not CBS, I think the game's on TBS, TBS side of things. Um, Kevin Harlan is going to join us at the top of the 5 o'clock The guy hour. who's calling the game. Right. Come on. Very, like, they don't know who he well, is. Well, okay, that's the thing. Like, most guests, you know, we introduce them with the title and everything. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, if... But for, for I think a lot of guys, like, you know, if you listen to the show a lot or you pay attention to KU Media, like, when I say Matt Tate, you know, like, yeah. you know who Matt Tate is, too. But you can, watch, you can watch a lot of sports. You know who Kevin yes, Harlan is. exactly. So he's going to join us at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. Cool special guest there, KU alum Kevin Harlan. Matt Tate is going to join us at 340, our Tuesday staple guest, along with Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. Great guests on today's show now, to be clear we don't love matt and kevin any less no i love them all just because we got kevin harlan mm-hmm. doesn't mean we love matt and kevin ha- flair yeah. any less no it's it's like having a third child right i still love the first two children the same it's just we i have love kevin more harlan love spread out now. i love kevin harlan more whoa <laughs> you cannot say that you cannot nah, say that. Nah. i'm gonna tell matt and kevin you said that. that's all right they they don't like me they neither of them follow me on twitter <laughs> oh Shots fired. We're getting to the real deep part of this now. Uh, your NCAA tournament coverage here on RCST is brought to you by Cycle Zone Power Sports, big city selection, and small town service on bikes, off road vehicles, and watercraft. Located off Highway 24 in Topeka, make that fun and exciting purchase you know you've been wanting for the spring and summer ahead. Your RCST NCAA tournament coverage also presented by Panky Foundation Repair. What's the key to a strong team? A strong foundation. It's the same for a house. Get your home's foundation inspected today for free. Plus, receive 10% off if you call. Mention you heard this on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. That's 785-505-0577, 785-505-0577 to Panky Foundation Repair. And I would like to give real quick, this is an important day in the history of the tournament. On this day, KU defeated Western Kentucky in the first round of the 2003 or 2013. I beg your pardon. Wait, that was on this day, in March 22nd. How does that math work out? It was a late one. That was a late one. Uh, March 22nd, KU Western Kentucky. Uh, the birthday of my nephews Benjamin and Oliver Tallboy. They were born. I was watching basketball in the waiting room at the hospital. So which was more important? Um. <laughs> I'm ha- let me just put I'm happy the KU game was later in the day, so I was there for their birth, and then I, we could go back and watch the KU game elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, later that evening, got to watch Florida, Florida Gulf mm-hmm. Coast beat Georgetown, all that good stuff. So, Ben and Ollie, happy Which Kevin birthday. Kevin Harlan was on the call yes. for. Happy birthday, fellas. 
Well, cool. Cool stuff there. Uh, hopefully, this season for KU is a little dissimilar from that 2013 NCAA tournament yep, run. And that, that didn't go well. Yeah, the bracket had broken. I mean, it didn't really break open for KU that year because you were playing. No, Florida was there but, too, wasn't it? You would have played I thought the Florida's two. the three. No, Florida's the three. Were they? Oh, um, Georgetown. So, duh, yeah. Georgetown was It didn't two. really break open, but like you had a three and a 15, and you would have played, I think, Syracuse like four seed in the final four. Didn't break open, but the point is it, more so about they had everything in front of them in that Michigan game specifically, and it, and fell, apart. it fell apart for no reason specifically. So hopefully that doesn't end up happening for KU in this one. Um, one thing that's going to be needed for them is some more from Ochai Baji. Now how much, I don't know, we'll get into that as part of this conversation, but Ochai is 10 of 28 from the field in NCAA tournament play. And if you're wondering, that's not a great percentage. 10 of 28 correlates to about 36% from the field. So well below his season averages, well below normal averages of what you want from any player, let alone your star player. He's also just two for eight on three-pointers in NCAA tournament play. And he is also now just seven of 27 from three in his NCAA tournament career. I don't know how much you want to view the career stats and view this as maybe somebody who struggles in, in these types of settings, maybe these types of arenas or buildings, whatever it is, or if it's just kind of weird happenstance on still 27 threes comparatively to Ochai, that could be three or four games worth. It's not that many. Um, but I, th- I think it was very bi- visible his struggles at the end of the regular season, too, that last week of the season, especially which was capped off in the Texas game where he didn't make a field goal through regulation, um, which maybe makes this seem a little bit more worrisome to me. But also, to play a little devil's advocate with myself here, speaking out of the other end of my mouth, he did go 20 of 42 in the Big 12 tournament in between, which is over 50%. So I don't know what you chalk up uh, maybe the shooting struggles for him last week as. Is it just a weird week? I think if you want to say if you want to draw a connection to the end of the regular season and last week, it's that he's pressing because the games are so important. They had to win. Um, really, ideally, they 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 you would have liked to have gone um, three and three and zero in that final week. TCU, TCU, Texas. So then they would have won the conference outright. Uh, they obviously didn't uh, win in Fort Worth, and then they, you know they only won by four, and then went to overtime and beat Texas. And he, you know, struggled against Texas. Didn't get his first bucket till overtime, as you said. I think he was just loose at the Big Twelve tournament. It's like, all right, they they just had a stressful week where they had to had to win their last two games in order to achieve their goal of winning the conference. Conference tournament comes. He just seemed loose. Yeah, the whole team seemed loose, and that that was why I'd be interested. And in, I'll I'll probably ask Matt about this. Um, I would like to know, because I think, and I mentioned this yesterday, I think a lot of times as fans, if a team underperforms against a lower seed, the immediate thing is, oh, they just overlooked them. But I think a lot of the times it's the other way around, that they're trying so hard to make sure that they don't overlook them that they get scared, and they start pressing and making poor decisions, and their, their timing is just a little bit off. So if you want to draw anything, is I just think it was relaxed in Kansas City. They'd accomplished. They were probably going to get a one or a two seed at least. They they you know they'd gotten through the gauntlet of Baylor, TCU times two in Texas. They'd come out winning the Big Twelve, tying tying at least for share of the Big Twelve title. Um, and so he just was free in Kansas City, and he didn't look free this weekend. And I hope he I hope that they figure it away. Maybe Remy playing at this level will help Ochai get to a point where he's a little more free 
um, playing this weekend in Chicago. I put a lot of credence into that. I, I can very much buy that notion that it is about pressing, but that does kind of scare me because because it's not it's the games only, it's only get, yeah yeah they only get more important from here. It's only going to get more pressure packed. It's only going to get more difficult. You're only going to be playing better opponents each and every game moving forward. So if it is about pressing, I I don't know how you fix that. I don't know how you solve that. And to your point on the Big Twelve tournament, yes, you could say. Well, I mean, that was still high pressure. It was single-game elimination tournament, and you're trying to win a championship. But really, if KU lost that game, the only thing that they or, – or that tournament, the only thing that they lose is maybe a one seed. But even after they won the first game, like, they probably still are getting a one seed. Yeah, so, you felt pretty good after they beat West Virginia they were getting a one. I, I, I don't really know what to do with that. Um, I think your best hope is either he just figured – you know, he just he, – he figured out – like he 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 shook the cobwebs off because I will say this: if you want to if you want to be super optimistic, he played one of his best halves of basketball of the season in the second half mm-hmm. against Creighton. Uh, well, offensively, I'll I'll say this: I I don't I didn't I didn't I didn't, I didn't pay super close attention with, as far as did he make any major defensive lapses. He did have the big steal, uh, but he, yeah, he had the steal. He scored 15 points in a half, which and that's tremendous. So he's coming off his best game or his best half of the tournament, which is a good thing. So maybe maybe he shook the cobwebs off. Maybe like I said, Remy putting it in the hoop. It's kind of allowing Ochai to just chill a little bit, knowing that he's got, you know, not just Christian Brown. You know, he's got other dudes. Um, hopefully, but I, I think, yeah, because you're right. The games are just going to get more pressure packed. They're more important from here on out. You just gotta hope he figures something out. Whatever it is that's that's eating at him, or not eating at him, but whatever it is that helps him relax, he finds. Yeah. It. Well, if it's not pressing, then it could possibly be like a, I don't know, he's just tired thing. But you would think with with getting the the four or five days off or whatever it was in between the Big Twelve tournament and the first game in Texas Southern would make you okay. Now they did. Um, I know Bill Self mentioned in the post game that they were going to take a couple days off. Uh, they said today we're we're going to share. We have Bill Self Audio. We'll share player audio throughout the week for you here that they ended up really only taking Sunday off. Um, Bill Self joked about it that, no, we did take two days off. The rest is Saturday and then Sunday. Um, but I, I do think that, you know, the beauty of it is you do have Bill Self on your side as that's part of being a coach, right? It's not just coaching the X's and O's and recruiting guys. It's getting guys in the right mental headspace and understanding what it takes for any of those guys to get them there. And in the same way that, you know, looking back, we can look back and say as many questions as we had about the whole Remy Martin situation and how that was all going to work out and if it was going to work out for KU, seems pretty apparent now Coming that up Bill roses. Self yeah. Yeah, played that pretty perfectly. I, I think that Bill Self will get Ochai in the right headspace. Yeah, I mean, I think there's always, yeah, you always, and, and Bill Self, um, you know, with, and look, he's, you know, you look at his 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 second round record versus around a 64 record, his Elite Eight record versus his um, Sweet 16 record. He clearly, the games, you know, there's such, there is a dramatic difference in, in winning percentage that second game of the weekend. Um, you know, part of it could just be the quality of play, you know, the quality of competition goes up. Um, I'm, you know, it's very possible that there's something specific about the way he does things. It's also possible that the tournament is just weird and, and self is due for this massive correction and he's going to peel off, you know, five of his next eight Elite Eight games or something crazy. Uh, you know, that's an extreme mm-hmm. example. But my point is, 
you do have a Hall of Fame coach on your side who has been, you know, in pressure positions before. He's dealt with players like this, you know, before. So I'm sure he knows what, you know, we know he knows what buttons to push. Um, the question is, will he push the right ones, and, and will Ochai respond this week? Well, for KU to make it out of Chicago and make it into the next week of the tournament, obviously Ochai has to contribute some. That's that's not saying anything noteworthy there. Um, but I guess the question I have here, because you were able to get through that first weekend, and, and more specifically the Creighton game, because the first game's a 16 seed. You know, if Ochai even didn't play, you should be able to still win that one very easily. Um he did contribute in the Creighton game. Like you said, had a really good second half. He uh, did have, I think, like eight rebounds, something like that. So he was doing other things. He was still contributing. I don't want to sound like he didn't do anything. It's just the shot wasn't falling. Um, but for them to move on past this weekend, do you view it as they can get by if he plays like he did last week? Or do you view it as, no, he has to look like that National Player of the Year candidate for them to get by? I think with what we saw... Um if if they can lock it down defensively, you know, obviously wouldn't need him to score as much. Um, but no, I, I think you need you need a national player of the year. You need that caliber of player to move on to the final four. Um, you know, if if you're counting, you know, Remy, if he continues to be great, that's outstanding. But I think you're going even I think you will still need Remy more sorry, I'm having trouble wording this. You will need more than just Remy playing really well like mm-hmm. he did this past weekend. You'll need another guy to step up. Uh, I think that's um, you know, the the quality of play is going to increase. You know, if they if they are able to get by Providence, I don't care that it's a ten and eleven waiting for them. It's an Iowa elite, State almost beat you in Allenfield, and it's an elite eight team yeah. waiting for you. It's a team, you know, so you're you're you you have really high quality competition from here on out. Um, and and I think what we're seeing out of the Big Twelve is that you could argue Iowa State was very underseeded because the Big Twelve is doing really well in this tournament so far. So you, you know, um, you're at a, you're at a point where, yeah, you need him. You need him. And and I think, you know, I'm not saying he needs to put up 30, you know, or anything crazy like that, but I think you need that guy that you can count on for 18, 20 points a game. Yeah. I, I don't think I'm at a point where they need like Texas tech at home. Ochai. No. Yeah. That's yeah. That was extreme. Yes. But I do think you need, the consistent Ochai. You yes, need the game-to-game that got him where he is. Yes, and I think that, like, if we're talking Final Four game, I think you might need Texas Tech Ochai in that situation. I think to get through this week, you just, like you said, need a consistent Ochai. I don't think you need the best version of Ochai, but I, I think you need it to be a little better than Creighton because what happens is if you have the the Creighton Ochai, it just makes the margin for error so much smaller of other guys. And like, okay, for instance, Devontae Graham did kind of struggle shooting the basketball in the NCAA tournament um, for the 2018 team, and they had Malik Newman step up and, yeah. and go in Fuego. And so if you have somebody else step up, then it can help carry the load, which Remy Martin has. 2012. It just, it Ty- just makes it so much smaller. Yeah. 2012, Tyshawn Taylor didn't make a three till the national title game. Granted, he wasn't the national player on the year, or the, the consensus All-American on that team T-Rob was. So it's a little different, but... Um, yeah, I think you just you need your best players to play at their best. And that's, you know, it's a super cliche way to say it, but there's no other way to put it. You you know, this is the best these are the best teams you're going to play all year. Yeah. And I think you're on to something when, you know, more than I remember Fran Fraschilla, I can't remember if it was a Big 12 tournament game or one of maybe it's the Texas game last game of the season. He was on the call and one of the things he said, he said, you know, it doesn't really matter which ones, but they need four players to play really well. And 
I think that, you know, I it, it depends how you define play well. I know a lot of people define it as, like, are you shooting well or not? I know Bill Self very much does not define it that way. Yeah, you don't need four guys to combine for 80 points. Right. But I think, you know, that's that's kind of proven. Like, okay, think about the Kansas Creighton game. Remy, obviously, would be one who played really well. Yeah. Uh, um, Jalen, even though he didn't shoot it well, he had 14 and 14. 14 and 14. Right? Um, I mean, you could go with Ochai just because second I would, half, and then Christian I, played well. I would he give Ochai play, that second half. He didn't yeah. outburst, but he played well. He had 13, 8, and 4, something like that yeah. on efficiency, right? So you had four guys go off. And Dave kind of got matched up out of the game. He was fine when he was in there, but, you know, you had four guys play well. So you need those four. I, I don't know which four, but you need some of them to pick it up. And if Ochai is not to a level of that, you know, outburst Ochai or 25-point-per-game Ochai and high efficiency and high volume of threes, then it becomes something where now all of a sudden either Remy Martin has to step up and be a guy who can get you 15-20 or Christian Brown's going to have to be a guy who can get you 20 points or David McCormick is going to have to be a beast on the boards or Jalen's going to have to have one of his games where he has 20-15 and or something like that. It just makes the margin for error so much smaller. And when you're dealing with an NCAA tournament situation where one loss, one messed-up situation, and you're out of there, that is uh, a little bit scary that that your star player is maybe fading a little bit at this point in the season. But also, I think the fact that he did go off in the Big 12 tournament, like you said, if it, if it is uh, you know a loose thing, and then that's not going to go away. But certainly, that does give me more hope that you know maybe this is just a guy who takes a lot of shots, and for that reason, there's going to be variance sometimes whether you're making a lot or missing a lot. Yeah, and I'll add to this. I'll say if you know if you if you have to pick a guy to rely on, you always go sample size, and sample size says Ochai is going to be just fine. Mm-hmm. You know the problem is in a one-off tournament, sample size doesn't always play out. But the the numbers, the the bigger numbers say that the good games should be coming from him. Yeah, he's Adam Rivetta. I'm Derek Johnson. Matt Tate will join us. In less than 20 minutes, Kevin Flaherty at 440. Kevin Harlan at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. We've also got Bill Self Audio to share with you later on throughout the show. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, and KLWN.com. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. It's about 20 till 4. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN with Adam Dravetta. I am Derek Johnson. Um, should we just settle this now? I think... Uh, Matt, you said you were listening to the show. I don't know if you heard the open of the show. Um, is there bad blood between Adam Dravetta and Matt Tate? Oh, I didn't hear that. I, I was listening about the last, I don't know, 30, 45 minutes uh, as I was driving around, running around. So I didn't uh, I didn't hear the, uh, the, the line in the sand being drawn all, by any means. To be clear, all I said was as excited, <laughs> as, as much as we love having you and Kevin Flaherty on as guests, I was particularly excited Today we have the great Kevin Harlan as a special guest. Oh, um, I, I, my ego is not big enough to have that be a problem. I mean, mm. some people's would be for sure. I can, I can sit here and name a, probably about 150 names for you, but I won't do that because we've got better things to talk about. <laughs> but Kevin Harlan, um, 
Yeah, man. If you if you bumped me from my my spot for Kevin Harlan, no, we'd never do that. We would never do that. There. there wouldn't be though. I understand the guy is a, a a legend and one of the best to ever do it. And um, the coolest thing about Kevin, whether it's a whether it's a you know game broadcast or or an appearance like this, like he's about to do with you guys, um, the coolest thing by, about him by far that I think you know perfectly sums up who he is is. He never mails it in. Not one minute in his life have I ever heard him mail it in. I mean, he is a pro's pro. He is always locked in. He always gives you his best. And I'm sure he'd tell you he's had some terrible calls and all that stuff. But um, but that's part of it. And, and that's probably not true. But um, it, it's never been for anything other than just, you know, circumstances. I mean, either the guy is the guy is so good. So, yeah, it's cool that he's calling the Kansas Games, I, I assume games, right? If they win, he, he, he's yeah. back on yeah, Sunday. He's, yeah, he's right. got he's got this whole weekend in Chicago. Yeah, so that's really cool, and and there's obviously some some connections there from the past, and and you know, he again, he's a pros pro, so he could be calling his uh, his children coaching against each other, and you'd never know that he cared um, because he's just so good. So um, there, there's no doubt that they're getting they're getting one of the best to ever do it, and you guys are as well. So. Wow. Let's get through this and uh, you know move on to the to the special guest because that's the reality, right? I am a guest. <laughs> no, you I are always our no, special guest. Yeah, you're a, yeah. you're a pillar. You're not a guest. Yeah. You're a pillar. You're foundation, Matt. You are. I'll take, you, I'll take those. I'll the take those. Re- <laughs> the regular guests are the pillars. Uh, a guest like Kevin Harlan is like a really awesome decoration. Like, there you go. You take it down, though. Yeah, you, down. You, yeah. I'm you, always there. Bingo, bingo. You put it up. You put it up during the night, during certain <laughs> times of the year. But you know that even when that season's not going, your foundation is still there, holding there you, you up. Go. There you go. Kevin Harlan is the good silverware, and I'm just what you eat with every day. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> with that. <laughs> no, but in all honesty, Matt, everything you said about Kevin with the broadcast and no bad that that's the same with Matt Tate. Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. You should check out. Uh, follow along. Tough. With his coverage of the NCAA tournament, um, if you would have just been dropped into a time machine before the season started, or I don't know, maybe even right after the Michigan State game, because Remy Martin played well in that game too, I don't think you would be surprised if you were dropped from that into just this week and saw what Remy did this past weekend, or even the week before in the Big Twelve tournament. But given that we weren't, and we saw how the whole journey went along the way, and there were doubts and questions and all these things. Um, obviously we have seen other stories like this of, of a player, you know, who maybe didn't have as big of a role stepping up more or just playing better like Malik Newman in 2018 or Jeff Graves in 2003. I, I can't decide if this one with Remy Martin with all those other stories is the craziest one to happen because of everything we've seen, or if this one makes the most sense because he was still big 12 preseason player of the year. I, I can't decide. Wow, yeah, that's. I, I think it's the craziest. I, I would say that's probably the, the the only answer. I mean, yeah, he was Big Twelve preseason player of the year, but I don't know that anyone thought that that really meant much or was based on anything other than him having a good career to this point. So, um, I, I I I don't think anybody expected him to struggle like he did, and part of that obviously was the injury. But, um, but but the fact that he did, and the fact that it was. Many, many, many times awfully close to being written off, at least by the fan base. Uh, I mean, I can't, you know, you're on Twitter. You can't, you can't imagine mm-hmm. how many times we've seen people say it's just over. Time to move on. It's not, he's not going to have it for us. That kind of thing. Right. And so the fact that that was, was dead wrong 
is is what makes this crazy. I mean, not only did Remy find it and end up delivering something of value, but as Self said today in his presser, he was KU's lifeline for a while there in, in Fort Worth, and, and there's no telling where they would have been in in that Creighton game without him doing what he did in the first half. So um, I, I think crazy is the answer, um, it, it, just because it has been a wild ride for this guy. And, and um you're right. I mean, if you had fallen asleep in, in November sometime and, and woke up now, you'd be like, of course Remy's killing it. That's what I expected all along, you know. But, um, but, but yeah, nobody's been asleep. Everybody's been paying really close attention, too close attention probably. I mean, I, I don't know how many headlines I've written with Remy's, Remy's updates or, or Remy's status updates in them, you know. And, and, and every time people cared, and every one of those was was worthy of, of the attention. So, um, the fact that people have, have kind of been on this ride with him, obviously from a, from a distance, um, but, but are still able to enjoy this now, I, I, I think it's incredible. I think it's a crazy story. I think it's cool to watch. And it's funny you bring up Malik because um, I, I, right around this same time, I think, it was, I think it was actually right after his Big 12 tournament uh, explosion, if you will. This is Malik back in 2018. I, I, I did a feature story on on his road and his journey and and the the shaken confidence and and getting that back and and then delivering in the postseason for KU and all that and and uh, talked to his dad at length back then and and just got a real feel for it. Uh, one of the, one of my favorite things I've ever written. I thought it was really a fun piece and really cool to to write that and and I was reading through it the other night for some reason. Um, and man, all I kept thinking as I read that was if you change the name Malik Newman to Remy Martin, this story would read the same. Now, some of the specific details would be different and it would be weird for Malik Newman's father to be talking about Remy Martin, but you know what I'm <laughs> saying? Like the, the past is, is stunning in its similarity. And, and I, I you know, I almost posted it again and, and I may tweet it just to, to, to get a few more cheap clicks out of it because uh, I think people probably would click on it and I think they would be entertained by it though. I mean, it was, like I said, it was, a, it was a good story. I enjoyed writing it at the time. It's irrelevant a little bit now, but I, I think if you jumped on and read that, you would, you would be taken by, wow, this is super coincidental. This, this is Remy. And, and so, um, you know, if, if that's the case, if that's what we're witnessing, then uh, then I think that that you know obviously maybe good things are ahead for Kansas. The difference between the two, though, as much as the story made sense and and you could replace the names and all that, Remy was out of the lineup entirely, right? I mean, Remy missed a month because of that injury. Remy, even when he was available, was playing six minutes a game, and and I don't think Malik's floor ever dipped quite that low. I don't think he ever was. I mean, he, they had to have him. Now, he wasn't doing a lot, and there were times where he didn't look very good, but he was still playing 20-plus minutes a game, and, and so I think that's what makes this one even crazier. It's that, it's that for a long time, Kansas was without Remy entirely, and was able to, you know, maintain a spot as a top ten team all season long, and and go through with, you know, just what is, what do they have? Six losses. I mean, you know, and and he was a part of a handful of those, but um, but a couple of them were without him too, and so it, it's just it's just amazing to me that 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 you know that he he missed so much time, and it was such a hot topic, and that here he is 
finally free, so to speak, free of mind anyway, and, and finally able to go out and have fun and show who he is and do what he does. And, and man, you guys know as well as I do, if, if he keeps this hot streak going and they keep winning, Final Four, title, whatever were to come of it, um, he would be remembered as a freaking legend forever. Um, and, and that's just what happens here. So it's a cool story all the way around. And, and uh, you know, I, I like Remy a lot, and I think he, I think he deserves this um, because of the way he fought through it. And, and, and that's really – and then you, you, we can move on from here. But, but that's really one of the coolest things about this team. You, you look at David McCormick, who's been battling injuries all year. You look at, you know, um, uh, obviously Remy and another guy battling injury. You look at this lineup top to bottom, and it's, and it's full of guys who just refuse to make excuses. They don't talk about their injuries. They don't blame stuff on their injuries. They just show up and work, and here they are in the Sweet 16 with a really golden opportunity ahead of them. We were talking about Ochag Baji's shooting struggles in the open over the last week. Uh, 10 of 28 from the field in the two NCAA tournament games. Now comes right after... He shot nearly 50% in the Big 12 tournament, but then that comes right after a bit of a shooting struggle over the last week of the regular season. Do you make anything of these Ochai shooting struggles? Do you think it has something to do with playing tighter in bigger, uh, more important games that might stress you out? Do you think it is just a a kind of weird happening that goes with, hey, I shoot a lot of shots, sometimes they're just not going to go in? I guess what do you make of that and how concerning or not concerning is it for KU moving forward? Yeah, I, you know, it's definitely something you, you, you are aware of, and I don't think it's a panic button situation, though. I mean, you, you had mentioned, and I was listening to this part, it was, you know, you talked about the variance on a guy who just takes that many shots, right? I mean, that's just that's just part of it. And and over the course of the season, when you score 600-plus points, um, you know, you're going to make a bunch and you're going to miss a bunch. And, and I think that's where they're at. Of course, if anybody could draw it up, they would say, let's not miss them now, right? That's what any coach, what any player would do, you know. But um, but the reality is this is uh, more pressure pack. This is uh, more defensive intensity from your opponents. This is, um, you know, on the back end of a physical and mental grind that can also be a factor. And, and so I, I think it's just the reality of, of how it goes being in his position and, and playing through, you know, expected greatness all year long. I mean, they have they have leaned on Ochai so hard, so long for so many games that you know it, it makes sense that he uh, that, that he's got a little bit uh, of a of a down streak in him, so to speak. Um, but, but I think that you know, I think that what's incredible about him is. Um, and, and, you know, he was this way at, in the game against Oklahoma when he hurt his wrist down there in Norman. You know, they, they shut him out, and and he, and he was out a long time after that wrist, and then guess what? You know, he emerged and he scored, what, the last eight points or eight of the last ten or something and made the pass to Christian Brown for the game-winning shot. Like, the guy is a gamer. He's a winner. He's tough as hell. And, and, you know, he, he's never – he's another guy that's not going to make excuses. You know, oh, they're guarding me different. Doesn't matter. Still have to score, you know. And, and he and he is all about that. He's all about finding ways to score, regardless of the situation, because he may be better than than a, almost anybody. I think when you consider the, the big picture of it all, um, he has accepted and embraced his role on this team unbelievably well. And 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 that's especially true because 
it's so different than what his role was prior to this year. So um, give the kid a lot of credit. I still think he's got a couple of hot shooting games in him. Um, I, I just think he's too good and he's come so far that it would be hard to imagine that, that, that he kind of fades that hard down the stretch, win or lose. You know, I, I just think he's still going to have a lot to say about where, how far this team goes. And, and, uh, and I feel the same way about David McCormick. I mean, he, he did next to nothing in Fort Worth. Well, it turns out they didn't need it. But I feel like David McCormick still has a game in him where he's going to go and you're going to look at the end of it and he's going to have 18 points and he's going to have 14 rebounds and six offensive boards and you're going to go, wow, they would have lost the game without Dave. He was great. And, you know, that, that that's because we've covered this team so long and people have watched this team so long and you kind of get used to what what happens? Dave's had plenty of stretches this year where he's had two, three, four bad games in a row, but he's always find a way to, to, to find another one and, and to bounce back and show that he's still got something to offer. So I think he's in that boat. I think Ochai's in that boat and in terms of his just shooting percentage because he's still been so important otherwise. And, and I think that, that as long as Remy continues to stay hot and Christian Brown and Jalen Wilson continue to attack and DeWan is comfortable in his role and all of that, man, I I think that they are going to be really tough to beat because I think those two, those two ace in the holes or aces in the hole, sort of speaking, um, are are sitting there still. And, and you don't need them both. It's not like KU's going to need Ochai and Dave to go nuts on Friday night to win. You know, they, they probably just need one or the other to happen. And then if that happens, Sunday, whoever they play, maybe it'll be the other. So um, I, I think that's still out there, and, and I think that, that one of the more interesting things that Self said today um, was the idea of this team reaching that next level that he always continues to talk about them having in them. In order to get there, you know, he said, number one, you got to have your big guys healthy. So Mitch and Dave have to stay healthy and get healthy, and it sounds like they're close. Um, and then number two, you got to have the four guys around Remy Martin being comfortable and, and productive and efficient because he has carried them at times in the last couple of games. And if they get to a point where he's doing what he does and those other guys gel with it, this team could be darn near unbeatable. And, and so there's a lot to, there's a lot to like about their chances in the next couple of weeks. But, you know, obviously the only thing that matters is how does it look Friday night? He is Matt Tate. You can check out all his work in the Lawrence Journal world, KUSports.com. Matt, before we let you go, as is tradition, one last thing with Adam. All right, Matt, one last thing. Who was the last person to call you Matthew? Oh, wow. Um, good question. My grandmother, probably. I talk to her at least once a week on the phone. She's in North Carolina. And oh, that's good. Yeah, as a lot of, you know, as a lot of people with, with longer names that shorten them in their lives and, and things like that do, you know, it, it seems like family like that is, is really the only people that, that still call me Matthew. And, and so um, that's, that's probably it. What's funny story about that, my poor wife, uh, her brother's name is Matthew. And so she grew up with, with her, uh, you know, her whole life was Allison and Matthew. And, and it was, they were siblings, right? And so then fast forward all these years later, and she marries a guy named Matthew. So luckily... I'm Matt. Luckily, I'm Tate. Luckily, I'm things that aren't appropriate for the air. Whoa. Luckily, <laughs> luckily, I'm a lot of things. 
in her world and and very 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 rarely am i matthew because i think it you know it's it's a hot button thing it still makes her go oh, that makes me think of my brother and growing up with him and he was a younger brother so he was a pest and all that stuff you know so um pretty wild story but yeah it's it, it's pretty rare that i get called matthew um funny story about that too though um if it's not my grandmother, then the other answer for that question, Adam, would be Bill Self, of all people. And I was filming... Have you ever called him William in return? I have not. I have not. That's not his name. <laughs> his you know Wikipedia that. page. Is it really? He's Billy Eugene Self, Jr. Uh, did you call Billy. him Billy in return? They, I have not. I have not. Um, usually, you will so the other day... I don't I was, think it'd go over well. I was filming them... <laughs> arriving, you know, uh, into the, the arena there in Fort Worth. And, and you know, I mean, he walks by, and, and uh, I've got the iPhone camera going and all that, and he looks over and he says, Hey, Matthew. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Hey, I'm not going to put that on the video, but thanks, and have a good game. So uh, so if it wasn't my grandma, it was it was Coach Self, but, but I think it was probably my grandma. I think I talked to her since then. So, um yeah, good question, though. I, man, these are fun. I like this. Good times. Adam, keep it going. No bad blood here, my friend. There we go. He is Matt Tate, Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. Keep up with his coverage along however long this goes for KU basketball in the NCAA tournament. He's a great grandson, a wonderful writer, and star of the show here on RCST. Matt, we couldn't do it without you. Thank you for coming on, as always. I thought you were going to say he's Matthew Tate. That would have been weird. <laughs> mm. Nope. Never want to do that. Never good man. I appreciate you, Derek. You guys have a good rest of the week, and uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. And uh, it should be fun up there. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm definitely interested to see what they've got left in them. All right, that's Matt Tate, Lawrence in the World, KUSports.com, joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. One hour down, two to go. Bill Self spoke with the media earlier today. We'll share that for you coming up next. This is RCST. Kevin Flaherty is going to join the show in about 20 minutes from right now. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Quick update on our poll. You can go vote at RCST 1320. Who does KU most need to play their A game against Providence? 56% of the vote, siding with Ochag Baji, 31% with David McCormick, 11 with Remy Martin, just 2% with the other pick. Okay, some uh, breaking news, I guess, for you here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Uh, I saw this first from Michael Swain. I don't know if somebody else had it first. doesn't matter. It's probably uh, from, I guess, Gatorade themselves. Grady Dick, who is committed to KU for next year. Great name. That'll be fun to deal with next year. Um, the camping group names are going to be astounding. fantastic. If they sell his jersey, it's going to be like the most sold. I mean, this is only going to be year two of NIL next year, right? But it's going to be like, it's going to crush every other jersey sold. Anyway, um, Grady Dick was named the Gatorade High School Player of the Year. And this isn't just the Kansas Gatorade Player of the Year. He has been named... Which he won two years in a row, by the way. Yeah. He won the Kansas one two years in a row. He has been named the National Gatorade High School Player of the Year. And you might go on, like, his recruiting profile and see that he's... It depends where you look, but, you know, maybe, like, quasi-top 20 in the mid-20s, something like that, and go, well, he could be a really good player... I don't know. Uh, we've seen other guys like, you know, Dave McCormick came in, ranked around, I think, 28 or 30, and he didn't really play much as a freshman. So how much does that mean? I don't know. Well, beyond the fact that, you know, I've, I've seen some other reports. I think C.J. Moore talked about this and some other people about how he could be one of the uh, 
most impactful shooting freshman in the country. Winning this award, I I am going to be perplexed if he does not end up in the top 20 or 15 on the final recruiting rankings when you win this award because these are the names of the past players who have won this national award. And yes, there are a few players you could pick nits at and say this or that, but pretty much all of these players, if we're talking about from a college perspective, outside of injury, were remarkable college players, and a lot of them have been remarkable pro players. Here is the list of the most recent National Gatorade of the Year players. 2021, Chet Holmgren. He's going to be a top two pick in this year's draft. He has been unbelievable for Gonzaga. He's been great this year. It, 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 all year, he's been... Um, it, I mean, we I I love the term matchup nightmare. And it's, now, look, Grady Dick is not Chet Holmgren in terms of position and size, but he's just been a matchup nightmare. He's been um, very difficult to guard. 2020 was Amani Bates. That was when the Amani Bates hype train was up. I think he was just a junior in high school at the time. That hasn't totally panned out, but he also should still be in high school right now. He came to college early, so it, it's hard to judge that. But that's really the one where it's like, eh, I don't know about that one. James Wiseman. Okay, didn't really play at Memphis, so we didn't really get to see it, but he was top three pick in the draft in like the two or three games he even played. He was putting up ridiculous numbers. R.J. Barrett, first team All-American at Duke. Michael Porter Jr., injured. So again, don't really get a chance to see it, but clearly he has been very good in the NBA. I'm sure if he was healthy, he would have had a good year at Missouri. Jason Tatum, top, I don't know, second or third team All-American? He he would have been an All-American at Duke. Ben Simmons, All-American at LSU, number one pick in the draft. Carl Anthony Towns, All-American on an undefeated regular season Kentucky team. Number one pick in the draft. Andrew Wiggins. I know a lot of people will say that, well, we thought the hype was too much and that we should have got more out of Andrew Wiggins. You cannot, honestly, unless you bought too much into the hype and and heard, oh, he's the highest rated recruit since LeBron James, thus he needs to be as good as LeBron James right now. I don't know how you could possibly not be happy with the production you got out of Andrew Wiggins except for, obviously, that his final game wasn't good. Um, he was a consensus second-team All-American. I don't, I don't know how you're not happy with that as a freshman. Consensus second-team All-Americans. As a freshman, consensusly, the country was like, he is a top-ten player in the country. That's pretty good. Jabari Parker won it in 2012. He was also an All-American at Duke in the top three pick in the draft. Bradley Beal, fantastic player at Florida, led them to, I think, the Elite Eight and uh, he's been really good in the NBA. Brandon Knight won it back-to-back years, which that's pretty crazy that he won it. And I know you may think back and go, Brandon Knight, I don't even hear about him in the NBA anymore. Think back to Brandon Knight when he was at Kentucky. That dude ended up being a, a first-round pick, I think a lottery pick for the Milwaukee Bucks, I want to say, maybe something like that. Um, Brandon Knight led Kentucky to a Final Four as a freshman point guard who was really good. Yeah, 2011 squad. So very impactful as a freshman. Drew Holiday, Drew Holiday, who just won an NBA title with the Milwaukee Bucks. Great player in the NBA. Really good player at UCLA. Kevin Love helped lead UCLA to a Final Four when he was a freshman. Greg Oden won it back-to-back years. Yeah. He obviously was very impactful as a freshman. Uh, we go before that, it's high school players. LeBron James, Dwight Howard never came Guys to Guys jumped. I, I'll say this. I think the bigger deal, what makes this to me a bigger deal, is that this isn't a guy you wait on to sign. Like it's not May, and you know we just got you know just got to wait. Oh, he's going to announce at the Under yeah. Armour game. He's going to announce at the McDonald's All American game. Kansas had him signed early. That's big to me. Like that, I I don't know. I just I think that's a huge deal. It's a huge deal anytime you get great recruits. That's that's the name of the game. But the fact that Kansas was in on him so early was, I mean, that's that's very impressive to me. And I get 
Yeah, he's he's down in Wichita, so it's it's you know you need to get those guys right. But they did; they got him right, um, and they got him to sign. I think if if he had waited and waited, he'd he'd be, you know, he'd be the kind of guy who's waiting till May to choose between three blue bloods right now. But instead, Kansas got him early, and that's a big deal to me. Yeah, so that is uh, really big news. Like I said, I don't know. I'm, we'll try to get Michael Swain on uh, this week of Fog.net and see if he knows anything about, like, is, is there a chance he could rise up in the rankings from this? I don't, I don't know. We'll, we'll kind of get to the bottom of that. Uh, Kevin Flaherty is going to join us in about 10 minutes from now on 24-7 Sports here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We're going to talk a little college basketball Sweet 16 with Kevin. Let's get a head start on that here. As you look at... Um, all these Sweet 16 matchups here. I guess we'll start on the left side of the bracket. Gonzaga, Arkansas, Texas Tech, Duke. Uh, starting in the west side of things. What sticks out to you over in the top left quadrant? Um, I for be... me, it's it's that Gonzaga and Arkansas, that could be a super entertaining game. Up and down, two teams that play a high tempo, but Gonzaga's just better at it. To me, it'll be, is Gonzaga going to get, you kind of made the the comparison all year about KU getting out of the Big 12 and taking the weight off the bat. I, Arkansas is a very good team, and they can give Gonzaga trouble, but if you want to compare athletes, I don't think Arkansas has near the athletes that Memphis does. No. So I, I think athletically Gonzaga can really give Arkansas a ton of trouble because Arkansas is not nearly as good athletically as Memphis is. Now, look, there's a reason they're a four seed, and there's a reason they're in the Sweet 16. They're a very good team. Um, and I don't think they even had trouble with their five, did they? Um, no, they had New Mexico State, who they had some issues Or they're with. 12. Yeah, 12. That's yeah, right. They, they shot 12. 27%. I was thinking won. of uh, UCLA St. Mary's. Mm-hmm. Um, UCLA didn't have any trouble with, with St. Mary's as their five. But yeah, so Arkansas, um, they, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what the line is. I actually think. This is one of only two games in which there's a higher favorite than Kansas. I think Gonzaga is one of only two teams that's a higher favorite uh, coming into the weekend. Um, so, and I think that's correct. I think Gonzaga, you know, if things go ex- as expected, they should win by eight or ten. But Arkansas is capable of holding with them. Yeah, I, I think it'll be a really good game. I think the Tech Duke game is more intriguing from a, more of a coin flip in that region. I think if you're looking like picking the best game from each region. It would be North Carolina, UCLA from the east. Um, again, like Texas Tech, Duke is probably the more competitive game, but Gonzaga, Arkansas might be more pleasing on the eyes. Yeah, Tech, Duke. If Tech gets their way, exactly, it's going to be ugly, right? Uh, south, I think Arizona, Houston could be a phenomenal. I mean, that's two top, I, I think, four teams on Ken Palm. Yes, but I also think if Houston gets their way, it's also going to be a very gross. Yes, game. yeah, yeah. That'll just be, yeah competitive. Um, and then. I think you'd go with Kansas-Providence is the more entertaining game, obviously, in the Midwest. I, I would agree. The only potential, if, 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 if one of these teams runs away from the other, um, then at least, at the very least, you could argue and maybe Iowa State and Miami may not be played at a high quality, but it could be close. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think in this in the Midwest region, you look at, which I'm kind of surprised they didn't get the, the, the primetime game uh, and they got the early one. I don't know how CBS or Turner or whomever makes these decisions. Um, but yeah, I think of the, of the Midwest of the two semifinals, Kansas Providence looks to be the the most exciting, most entertaining game. It's you know the two two best teams remaining in the region. If I told you that one of the three one seeds remaining has to lose in the Sweet Sixteen, who do you think would be the most prone? Well, if you just look at Ken Palm ratings, and I, I'll go with Arizona as the most prone to lose. I think Houston. 
Look, Kelvin Sampson, I've seen year after year after year Kelvin Sampson's teams be having an athletic disadvantage and still owning the game defensively. Um, it, it happened all the time with, you know, when he was going up against Roy Williams at, at OU. Uh, not well, all the time is not the right word. Kansas got theirs against Oklahoma, but he's, you know, there were times, I mean, he held the 2002 team that averaged an insane amount of points to games that one, once had a stretch of like five out of seven where they scored 95 points or, or more. Uh, he held that team to 55 in the Big 12 tournament final. So Kelvin Sampson, I've just, I've seen him so often have high level success with athletes that don't necessarily compare to the teams he's going up against, but he's, he's so good defensively uh, that I can see that being a sloppy game and, and Houston coming away with like a 65 59 type victory. Yeah, that's I, I think Arizona might be the most vulnerable. I, I would agree with you. Also, um, the game is in San Antonio, right? So, yeah, Arizona travels really well, they do. And that's not like that far of a distance. Like it's, I don't know, probably what, like two hour flight, maybe hour and a half flight. Yeah, it's not like they're going to to Philly. Yeah, so I, I'm sure they will. But Houston obviously has the travel advantage there. So I'll be, I'll be. I don't know what the alumni base of like Houston is. I, I'd imagine it's pretty big because that's a giant city. But Arizona has a big alumni base as well. I agree. That would be number one. I'd probably have the Kansas Providence game number two. I would agree. Yeah, Kansas. I think is the second most vulnerable one seed. I just, I, I can't see Gonzaga losing to Arkansas, and I, I don't know why, what it is because. I, I I had Gonzaga beating Memphis, but it wasn't that crazy to me if Memphis did beat them because they had all that athleticism and talent, which is weird because, you know, the style of play for everything that I'm about to say here matches up with this same answer, but I just feel like if you're going to play the same style as Gonzaga, you better have better or just as good players. Yeah, that's the thing. If you're going to play the same style, then that means... Like, if Arizona played Gonzaga in the title, they could beat them because they both have great players, yeah. and if you're better that specific day, you both play the same style, right? But if you're the same style and you have lesser athletes, then it's not like you can say, well, we do this great and they do this poorly and we can match up against their weakness. Mm -hmm. If your weaknesses and strengths are the same and they have better players than you... They're just going to play there. You, you, first off, you've got them comfortable because they're playing the kind of game they want, whereas Houston, I think, can force Arizona to play an uncomfortable mm -hmm. style. Just and, like TCU did. But if you've got Gonzaga versus Arkansas, you're, you've got, a, you've got a, a style that Gonzaga's comfortable with, and is they're better at doing that than you are. Yeah, they are. Um, yeah, I, I feel like this is setting up that whoever wins the West, I'm just going to pick to make the championship game. The yeah. right side of the I bracket, mean, though, is, is UCLA wide open. and Gonzaga was a, was a wild game last year. Yeah, but I but mean, it, Gonzaga is this year. You could argue they're better because they've got they brought back a bunch of guys with more experience. They lost Suggs, but replaced. I mean, different position, but in terms of talent for talent, they replaced Suggs with Grady Dick. So you've got another really great uh, player. You mean Chet Holmgren? Yeah, Chet, uh, Chet Holmgren. The next. Grady Dick is the <laughs> next Chet Holmgren. We're talking yeah. about Gatorade Players of the Year, uh, and we're talking about Chet, Chet Holmgren being a Gatorade Player of the Year. And uh, Sorry about that, everybody. Mm. So you've got Chet Holmgren, who obviously different um, different position than Suggs, but there's your stud, your absolute star in Chet Holmgren. Uh, and then you've got everybody else, basically, from that runner-up team last year with another year of experience. I am kind of wondering if we get a Gonzaga-UCLA rematch in the Final Four, and there's a part of me that wonders if UCLA gets revenge, and that would be uh, a very fun game, I think. It, 
would uh I'm trying to think of examples oh, my setup that way. Examples in which that happened. The one that I can think of off the top of my head is Duke in ninety one. Well, there's one that didn't go well and it also featured UCLA. They lost to Florida in the title game in oh, 06, yeah, and played them again in, in the in final four and lost. Final four, you're right. I was gonna go all the way back to Mike Krzyzewski's first ever title the year before they got pummeled by UNLV. Mm-hmm. And then came back and beat an undefeated UNLV team in the Final Four before K- Coach K got his first title. Um, and so I-, I was thinking that one, but you're right. Yeah, um, Ohio, uh, Florida, Florida, Ohio State was the title, but Florida, UCLA, back to back years, uh, and it didn't go well for UCLA either time. He's Adam Rivetta. I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to be joined by Kevin Flaherty coming up next. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Adam Dravetta, Derek Johnson here on KLWN. Joined now by the first of our two Kevins today. Kevin Flaherty joins us here of 24-7 Sports. Before we get into uh, the bracket and the Sweet 16 and everything, Kevin, uh, down the line, Grady Dick just got named the Gatorade National Player of the Year, and we are going through the list of the guys who have won that award. It is, I mean... It's not one of those things where it's like, oh, this this Heisman winner, you know, Chris Wanky didn't really do anything after that. No, like everybody who won the award has turned into at least a very, very good college player with maybe the exception of, I don't know, like Imani Bates in, in recent memory. But he could even, you know, still turn into one and he was supposed to be a senior in high school this year. Nonetheless, uh, what does that mean with, with Grady Dick winning this award? How impactful do you think he can be next season? You know, I think one of the things that you look for with a prospect who's not necessarily, you know, a top five guy in the class, maybe a top ten guy in the class, is you look to see if he's got a translatable skill and whether there's a role that he can fill right off the bat. And I think one of the interesting things about Grady Dick is he's been on the the big stage for quite a while now. And so people who first saw him, you really were – we're more amazed with his athleticism. Like, I feel like that really came through, you know, early on in his career. Now, what he's done at this point, Derek, is he turned himself into maybe the most lethal shooter in all of high school basketball. And obviously, that's a skill that we've seen translate pretty well. And you saw, you know, in 2020, a guy like Christian Brown was able to carve out a really big role as a freshman because he was able to shoot so well from the outside. Well, Grady Dick is a significantly better shooter at the same stage to, to what Christian Brown was. The release is quicker. Uh, he shoots better sort of in all different phases. And, and he's a really good athlete. And so obviously when you're projecting him to next year's team, there are a lot of questions that need to be answered in terms of where the open spots in the lineup are going to be right. Is Christian Brown going to going to come back for another year? Is Jalen Wilson going to come back for another year? How is how is Kansas going to kind of put the other guys in that class into that into that lineup? But I think one of the things that that we have a pretty good idea of is 
even if there isn't a starting spot for Grady Dick, I think he's going to play a pretty big role just because of what he's able to do as an athlete and then the fact that he is such a knockdown sort of game-changing shooter. Okay, so give me a player comp. J.J. Redick with the, with the ability to dunk on people? You know, it, it, <laughs> it's tough to figure one out because he he's, you know, significantly taller and longer than, than Redick is. I, I think, you know, one of the really interesting things is a lot of times guys struggle shooting when they come to college because they're asked to take on a different kind of shot, right? Like, Malik Newman was a, a really interesting example of this in that Malik Newman was a guy who was always a point guard. So the ball was always in his hands. And so his shooting, he, he learned to be what you would call a ball-in-hand shooter, right? He was shooting off the bounce a lot. And when he came to Kansas, you saw him really – sort of transitioning and, and, you know, having to learn how to take shots off the catch, which, you know, is mostly about footwork and, and making sure that you're ready, your balance is right, your feet are in the right position, all of those different things. And so, you know, Malik Newman didn't shoot super well until all of a sudden he did. You know, it, it sort of clicked. The interesting thing with Grady Dick and why I talk about him like that as a shooter Derek, is Grady Dick this year, when you look at the way his numbers break down, he's an accomplished shooter in pretty much every single way. And I think that's what makes him interesting, is he's not a guy that, you know, was just bringing the ball up court and then taking a shot in rhythm off the dribble. And he's not just a catch-and-shoot guy, which you've seen some of those catch-and-shoot guys struggle too because people run at him off the catch and force him to shoot off the move and things like that. No, Grady Dick this year has really kind of put it all together. And when you look at his splits and the way he shoots off the bounce, the way he shoots coming off the screens, the way he shoots off the catch and different things like that, he's put together a really full shooting resume. And so I think that maybe a slightly bouncier, you know, a slightly bouncier, better shooting Christian Brown would maybe be a, a little bit better comparison. I, I think, you know, he's got some toughness to him, too. He's just a, a really, really good player. Right, we're talking with Kevin Flaherty at 24-7 Sports. I do want to get in on, on the bracket and everything. Down to the Sweet 16 now. Uh, if you had to pick, uh, I don't know, maybe a team or two or a few teams that you found to be most impressive for what they did in the first weekend last week, who would you go with? Yeah, I think uh, one of the teams that was most impressive to me, you know, relative to, I don't want to say reputation necessarily, but I thought in that second game, UCLA really looked like the UCLA that we thought they would be in. And maybe UCLA isn't getting that that kind of credit because of the fact that, you know, this season they weren't the second best team in college basketball as they were ranked. But, I mean, let's be honest, UCLA went to the Final Four last year with the same five starters, and UCLA was significantly better this year in the regular season than they were last year. So it's not like they busted, but I feel like a lot of people sort of slept on them as a Final Four contender because they weren't you know, quite what everybody thought they would be. But you look in Ken Palm today, Derek, I think they're top ten again. And so when you look at that UCLA team, that's, 
that's one that jumped out. Obviously, North Carolina, you know, barring the the absolute collapse that <laughs> that they had against Baylor, and there were some unique circumstances there. You know, the flagrant two on Brady Manick obviously changed that game. Caleb Love fouling out meant that they had one less ball handler on the court, which Baylor was really able to take advantage of. But the ability for North Carolina to respond to giving up a, a 25-point you know, edge to Baylor in about 10 minutes, I, I think most of us felt like that game was over when it went into overtime. Like, there's no way Carolina comes back from this. And the ability to refocus, to get that win with the way that backcourt is playing, and then this wasn't necessarily a surprise, but the other team that, that jumped out at me, I think, and, and kind of has all year is Kelvin Sampson's done an unbelievable job at, at Houston. And this is a team that I'm not sure a lot of people realize. You know, people like me had them with the nation's very best backcourt or among the nation's very best backcourts going into the year. And they literally lost maybe their two best backcourt players. And yet here they are. They're, I think they're still top five in Kempom, maybe even number, they're number two. two. I think they're, yeah, I think they're ahead of Arizona, who is actually the number one seed in their own bracket. And so they're, they're favored over Arizona on Kempom. And, and so you look at, at their ability to do that despite basically losing you know, their top two players, I'm not sure a whole lot of, uh, a whole lot of programs, you know, are as good with, uh, with what they do as what Houston is that they can absorb those losses, still have the kind of year that Houston's had with those guys being out all year and still being out. Uh, it's just amazing to me. And it's amazing to me that I'm not saying that he should have won it, but that Kelvin Sampson hasn't gotten you know, more mention for National Coach of the Year because I think that what they've done is just absurd. Yeah, I'll be honest. I had UAB beating them in the first round, and I, I was never really a huge Houston believer this year after those guys got hurt and, you know, they didn't play the toughest schedule. But um, looking back on it, it's just they're so tough and, and they play such a, I don't know, such a specific brand of basketball that makes them such a tough out. And um, I, I think a little bit of what went into, I, I know this is silly, but, you know, if you go back and look at some of the high-ranked American Athletic Conference teams over the years, uh, the one that really sticks out is, I remember SMU with Shemi Ojale got a six seed a handful of years ago. A lot of those teams uh, ballooned up their record and, and were top 10 in Ken Palm or whatever it was, Cincinnati from a couple years ago when they were a two seed and lost in the second round and just didn't have runs in the NCAA tournament. But this Houston team has found a way to do that. It, it, I asked this question to Adam in, in the last segment. If we were putting one of the one seeds on the highest upset alert, it would have to be Arizona, right? Yeah, I would think so. I, I would definitely think so. I thought, I thought the Memphis game for Gonzaga was, and I know some people circled that as, you know, danger zone for Gonzaga. But I thought that was going to be tougher for Gonzaga than whatever their Sweet 16 matchup was going to be. The quick turnaround, how athletic you know, and deep Memphis is with those athletes. And I think that's part of the reason maybe we slept on Houston a little bit too is you know, a couple of those meetings with Memphis, you know, Houston looked like it couldn't hold up, right? Like Memphis looked really, really good, and that was after they had turned the corner. 
But then we kind of forget, you know, when they met again in the AAC tournament, you know, Houston ran away with it. I mean, it, it really wasn't close. And when you when you evaluate that team, I, I thought the way you put it was, was was pretty apt because I think that there are certain teams out there that when you play them in the field, no matter how secure you are in what you do, you are going to play their brand of basketball. And one of them is UCLA, which is one of the reasons I like UCLA. You know, you're going to play a slower tempo game. They're going to get. They're going to get you into mismatches, and then get it to where Dewan Harris or whoever is guarding a six-seven guy, and that guy's going to you know shoot from mid-range. And they're going to play UCLA basketball. Villanova is always going to play the way that they do, your big guys are going to have to defend around the arc and your little guys are going to have to defend guys in the post. And I think the other one is Houston because Houston turns every game into a volleyball match on on the glass. And if you don't match that physicality and that intensity, and it's not something that you can really replicate in practice, then you're going to go home because it, it is really tough to Tough to match that, and super tough to match that on a couple couple days. And I know Arizona has longer to look at it, but I think we saw against TCU that TCU was able to really push Arizona around on the offensive glass. And I know TCU now has the nation's best offensive rebounding rate, thanks in part to that game. But I almost think that Houston is even more tenacious on that end and and really could cause some problems for Arizona. As you look at the Sweet 16 bracket and and how this could divvy down into the Elite Eight, whether it's matchups you just want to see because you think it'd be a good game or an interesting matchup or you want to see a couple different players go up against each other, uh, is there a specific matchup that you're really hoping that you get to see on Saturday and or Sunday? You know, I, I'm interested to see a Gonzaga-Texas Tech rematch. Uh, I think one of the interesting things about that, that matchup in, in the regular season, I know Duke beat Gonzaga, but I think that if Duke rematches with Gonzaga, I'm not sure Duke is the team it was at the time, and I think Gonzaga is better than it was at the time. Texas Tech, though, was one of the few teams that was able to really not allow Gonzaga's big men to take over. I think Chet Holmgren and Drew Timmy combined for 12 points in that game. And so if that's the case and you're getting Texas Tech on a quick turnaround, uh, I do think that Texas Tech could potentially present some danger there. I, I think when you look sort of around the bracket a little bit, I, I love how dynamic this North Carolina team is. And, and I think that they're a lot of fun and they can beat anybody on a given day. And so when you, when you look at that Carolina team potentially moving past UCLA, and I, I think UCLA wins that game, but if they don't, if Carolina goes through a Carolina Purdue game could just be up and down the court. It'd be really, really fun to watch with all the backcourt talent and athleticism and, and all the different things. That would be a lot of fun to watch. I would think. What do you make of the matchup for Kansas with Providence and the Jayhawks' potential road to a Final Four now? Providence is such a fascinating team, Derek. I don't know how much you follow shot quality at all, but like shot quality showed that Providence should have lost both of its games so far. <laughs> and 
And, and that includes, that includes, mind you, the 28-point win over Richmond. So, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those hilarious things because if you follow Providence at all over the course of the year, like Providence fans are bringing signs, you know, to, to games, basically ripping Ken Palm and, and stuff like that, which is hilarious. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's something you wouldn't see in, in anything else. You don't see Royals fans, you know, taking signs <laughs> to games like darn you Woba or, yeah. you know, what it, like, whatever. Screw you know, the Pythagorean win loss. Yes, wins above replacement does not adequately describe Steph Curry. You know, I mean, it, it, and so it's it's really funny. And there's been sort of this war, you know, all year with Providence and advanced metrics, and and it's really funny to look at it. Like I said, when you see them win by 28, and you're like, wow, that's a really impressive performance against a Richmond team that just beat Iowa. And then you see the shot quality thing, and it says, well, Richmond should actually win this game most of the time based on the shots taken. And and again, it was a 28-point margin. You almost have to kind of laugh, but that's that's been Providence all year. And, you know, we've talked on this show so many times, I feel like, about how the best way to win close games is to not play close games. And Providence plays a lot of close games, and – and yet Providence keeps winning, and that's why that you know luck attribute you know, on Kempom is is so high. That's why Providence isn't ranked as high in some other stuff. And, and occasionally Providence will have a game where that that doesn't you know help them out. And, and you saw that the last time they played Creighton, when Creighton really just absolutely mashed them. And and so I think that providence has some things in this matchup that they can like they've got bigger wings than a lot of people do stronger wings who can hold up you know against christian brown and ochai abaji you know they have a a center who can potentially hold his ground against david mccormick they've got a good backcourt they're a tough team and so there are things that as providence is watching film you know the friars are probably over there feeling like okay like this this isn't as big a difference between the two teams as a lot of people think, and maybe we should, you know, we should be right in this thing or, or whatever else. But the other part of it is, is Kansas is in a spot, I feel like, in the Sweet 16 and then later in the Elite Eight, which is really all you can ask for in the NCAA tournament, where you basically say, look, Kansas controls its own destiny. If Kansas plays its A game and Providence plays its A game, Kansas is moving on. And I think that's that's kind of the, the takeaway that I have from that is it would take not a huge outlier performance, but it would take somewhat of an outlier performance, I feel like, for, for Providence to advance. He is Kevin Flaherty. You can check out his work, 24-7 Sports. Kevin, before we let you go... One last thing with Adam. All right, Kevin, one last thing. Your computer mouse, does it have a wire or is it wireless? Uh, it is wireless, actually. I uh, I used to have a, a wire, and it made me want to chuck the thing across <laughs> the room sometimes, you know, because it gets tangled up or, or whatever else. And and so, yeah, when when I use a mouse and, and not just the – the tracking thing on my computer it's uh it's wireless with the with a little usb port on there all right there we go we're gonna slowly figure out kevin's uh office setup this <laughs> is he's kevin 24 <laughs> 7 sports kevin thank you for the time as always man
All right. Thanks a lot, guys. All right. Kevin Flaherty joining us here. We're going to be joined by Kevin Harlan, another Kevin, at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. We've also got your NCAA tournament vignette coming up after Fox News. Two hours down. One to go. Joined now by a special guest, Kevin Harlan. He's going to be on the call of the game between Kansas and Providence, as well as all the action going on in the Midwest Regional in Chicago. So, Kevin, um, being on the call of this game in Chicago, obviously – uh, a place that you've been to, you know, many times, whether it's uh, NBA game with the Chicago Bulls or in the NCAA tournament or whatnot. Uh, how do you like this environment for the NCAA tournament? And, and what are some of, I guess, maybe uh, your favorite environments for the NCAA tournament? Well, great being out with you, Derek. And Chicago is a terrific. The building is as good as there is in uh, the country in terms of. Uh, basketball experience for fans. Um, I think there's a great KU pipeline to the Chicagoland area, and that's going to make it even more compelling. Should be a lot of Jayhawk fans in Chicago for the weekend. Should be a lot of fun. And um, I, I would say it's, it's about as good as there is. We were in Pittsburgh this past weekend and at Villanova and Ohio State and Houston and Illinois and, and some good teams and that environment was great, too. I think fans all over the country are just so excited to be back in these buildings and watching and, and, and cheering on their schools, uh, living the NCAA tournament, which is such a great three-week experience. And if your team is winning and playing well like KU's, then makes it even better. So I'm, I'm looking forward to this weekend in Chicago. I think it'll be a great experience, and I think it'll be a, a, a terrific venue. And you mentioned uh, getting to call all that action last week. A lot of teams who play at a slower pace, whether it's Villanova, Ohio State, Loyola, the Illinois-Chattanooga game. Uh, when I look at this game for Kansas and Providence, this is just kind of something we've been monitoring all season long. A Kansas team that thrives in transition. They're 17-0 and in games with 70 or more possessions. Still a respectable 13-6 and in the other games. Still a good record, but obviously pairs in comparison to the 17-0 uh, Providence, meanwhile, plays at a slower pace, like some of those teams you, you called last week. Um, is there something that you see in the NCAA tournament that leads to these slower tempo games and, and more slow-paced games? Well, I mean, it could be a variety of things, and Providence is different than any of the other teams in there, as, as is Kansas different. I mean, they're all, they're all unique because of who they've got. You know, a lot of times teams – know that when they speed up the pace, uh, they just can't get their offensive set. Uh, the turnovers will mount up, and they get thrown out of their rhythm. Uh, uh, the, you know, there are teams that, that want to take it up and uh, be very uh, cautious about how they set things up. The problem is, is that you give the opposing team a chance to get their defense set as opposed to in transition. When things are a little bit helter-skelter, and it's difficult to to get, you know, your defensive position and to get that set up. So, you know, they're pro and con you know, positions for both ways of playing. You know, the college game is just different. You can work with a longer clock. The shooters aren't as skilled. Uh, a lot of them not as athletic as the next level. And so this just uh, – I think it really is just based on what kind of personnel you have. Sometimes you've got a guard that can push the pace and other guys that can run – their particular lanes and being in a position to make things happen. Other teams, because of the way they're constituted, uh, they've just got to set up in a certain way that they're a little bit more deliberate. And uh, there's not a good or a bad way of doing it. It's just kind of the personnel you've gotten. 
Bill always seems to have very athletic kids who can uh, run and they're high flyers. And when you've got, you know, a kid like Abaji or whoever, you can make that really a part of what you do. The tempo you establish uh, can really throw an opponent off. And these are uncommon opponents. I mean, KU has not played Providence. Um, a lot of these schools haven't seen the other school uh, for, for a long time. They're not like conference foes who you know how they play. Now, that being said, if Iowa State should advance, that'll make for a very interesting Midwest regional final. But until then, it's Providence and a different kind of style. Not that KU hasn't played that kind of team before they have. And I, I think they'll adjust as they go on, as all these teams seem to do. It may take the first 8, 10, 12 minutes of a half uh, to, to really kind of get locked in on what you're facing pace-wise, but when it's all said and done, a team like Kansas, as gifted as they are, usually finds a way to adapt and adjust, and they've been very successful at it. Tip time is, is 629. You're the TV professional. I, I'm curious if you know why 629 as opposed to 630, but either way, um, as you're getting ready for, for this game, doing prep work for KU Providence, what do you kind of envision be being those top storylines for you guys on the broadcast headed into this game? Well, we're just kind of getting into it, actually. We just, you know, we, we finished up Sunday late afternoon, and we're just trying to collect our breath right now and and uh, get in to start the preparation for the four teams. But clearly, living in Kansas City the way I do, and being a Kansas alum, I'm, you know, uh, somewhat familiar with what they do, and and you know, I just know that they've got you know one of the premier players in the country, certainly the conference. And they've got a team that, that has uh, been benefiting, as all these teams have been, from transfers, graduate transfers, the transfer portal. Um, that seems to be kind of a theme, I think, for not only KU, but all these teams. They've all benefited from players moving from a mid-major conference, maybe up. Um, some from a big conference, Power 5 conference school going down to a mid-major school. Um, you know, it just kind of depends on, on what you've got, but that is kind of the, the resounding theme is that uh, teams are keeping players longer. They've got college players that are more invested in that process, knowing that they're probably not going to go to the NBA or overseas, and they want to make this last and play with a school like KU um, that, that's going to make their mark, uh, whether Jessifu or whoever on the Kansas roster. Um, you know, these grad transfers. Uh, these kids that have gone to the transfer portal, they're making the most of it. And we've really seen that that has had a pretty good, I think, I think impact on the college game. They've, they've extended their careers. We're familiar with their names. Uh, they bring a colorful resume to the schools they're on right now. And uh, Kansas is not outside of that story at all. They are very much affected by those players. And, and uh, then, then you get into the, 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 the coaches. And Laranega clearly is a name that resonates with the University of Miami and Bill Self uh, with the University of Kansas. And, and that becomes a part of it. And certainly the dominating story is Coach K at Duke and, and him and his final year and how he will end his legendary career. So, uh, you know, it, we, we have a lot of different things at play here, all of them very compelling, and not the least of which, of course, is the Jayhawks story. We're talking with Kevin Harlan here. I, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but, but before we let you go, I'd, I'd be remiss not to ask, at least you mentioned KU alum. Um, I'll say hi next time I see Tom Hedrick. I do broadcast in Baker University, see Tom all the time. I know 
he uh, kind of helped your career get started here at KU specifically. Um, how much did coming to KU uh, affect everything and, and impact things for you at the beginning of your broadcast career? Well, it was everything, Derek. You know, I, I, I came from Green Bay, Wisconsin. I was all set to go to Notre Dame, and Tom invited me down in a, my senior year in high school uh, to sit by him as he broadcast the KU game at Allen Fieldhouse. And um, as I was getting ready to go back to the airport after my weekend visit, he said, if you come here, I'll put you on our KU broadcast. I'll let you fill in when I can't make a broadcast to KLWN. Um, you can work baseball games with me. And and uh, everything he promised to happen. I, I got there as a freshman. I was on the KU football broadcast with David James, a former All-American quarterback at KU, and of course, of course, with Tom, and did some basketball with Tom, and um, and and that was uh, terrific. And um, uh, and then the baseball. So I, I got to do everything, and all those uh, wonderful experiences led for opportunities at WIBW in Topeka as an intern after my freshman year, and then an internship out with ESPN Radio going into my senior year. And and uh, so yeah, Tom was. Tom was the linchpin in me getting my start and being a Jayhawk and being at Allen Fieldhouse and being at the stadium on football Saturdays was a part of the way I got started in the business and wouldn't have traded it for anything. And I'm very grateful. So, so clearly when I do KU, um, it, it is with, uh, you know, a, a very full heart and great memories. Now I say that, um, but the last two times I've done KU in the tournament have not turned out all that well. I did them at the, in the Kansas City um, Sweet 16 side a couple years ago, and they played uh, down then at the Sprint Center, and they lost to Oregon um, in, in, the, uh, in the regional final. And, uh, and before that, I had done them, I think, down in Oklahoma City, and they lost to Northern Iowa, and Ari Farukmanesh, who was going off with a bunch of three-point shots for the Panthers of, of Northern Iowa from the Missouri Valley Conference. So I have not had a lot of success. And I did them in the Final Four in New Orleans, and they lost to Syracuse, and they lost to Carmelo Anthony. Uh, that's back when Roy Williams was coaching them. So I, I would tell you that I have not had great success with KU, and I hope it turns this weekend in Chicago. Well, you got to do the uh, LeGerald Vic 360 dunk, so we'll we'll just we'll act like it ended there. We'll act like everything after that was was a blackout. Kevin, thank you so much for the time. I'll let you get back to it, and looking forward to hearing you on the call this Friday. Thank you, Derek. Great pleasure to visit with you. I'm going to follow your career, and um, you're uh, sure nice for having me on today. Thank you so much. All right, that was Kevin Harlan. Awesome getting to chat with Kevin, KU alum. Uh, mentioned doing broadcasts with Tom Hedrick, who used to do stuff here at KLWN and also at Baker University and all sorts of legendary sportscasting career for Tom and um, Kevin. Again, I mean, I, you know, most guests that say we have here of this media outlet and, and most of the guests, you know, if you're listening to the show regularly, you know who they are. But with Kevin Harlan, I don't even need to say, yeah, it's Kevin Harlan of CBS and Turner Sports and, you know, Westwood One, which all those are true. Just it's Kevin Harlan. Everybody knows him. Everybody loves Kevin Harlan. Everybody loves him on the call. Always so enthusiastic and awesome. Was awesome getting a chance to talk with him there. All right, this is Rock Truck Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. We played for you earlier today the first half of what Bill Self had to say with the media. We're going to take a timeout. When we come back, we'll play the rest of what Bill Self had to say. This is RCST on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.